2: When I walk into the commissioner's office, I don't realize that this assignment's going to prove that sometimes the guy who tries to take somebody for a ride ends up getting taken. Morning, Commissioner. You
3: sent for me? The Blue Lion has sent us another guest, Steve. The Blue Lion? A pub in London. Acting on a tip, we arrested a man on his arrival in the States last night. His passport and other identification were forged. He's the fifth illegal entry we've picked up in a month.
2: So how does the Blue Lion fit into the picture?
3: That's where these people picked up their phony passports. They don't know or won't tell us any more than that.
2: I guess that calls
3: for a visit to the Blue Lion, huh? The Scotland Yard's given the place a clean bill of health, Steve. The owners are well-known, respectable, and I doubt the man behind this racket is still using the place as a rendezvous. Since so many of his clients have been arrested. Any other leads, Commissioner? Several days ago, a crew of workmen found a small package behind some loose bricks in the basement of a house in St. Margaret's Mews in London. The package, wrapped in newspaper, contained a half-dozen forged passports.
2: Uh, identified as our friend's work? Right. I see. So if I can find out who put that package there, I might find out our master penman? Exactly. Mm-hmm. And the date on the newspaper, Commissioner? Brace yourself, Steve. April 29th, 1945. 1947? years ago? You mean that package was stashed away all that time? Right. I know it's a long shot
3: and a cold trail. But we've nothing else to go on. Get over there, Steve. Check with Inspector Jellicoe of Scotland Yard. Find out what you can about that house in St. Margaret's, Mews. Pick up the trail and nail the man who's running this passport racket. Well, that's it. You've got your assignment. Good luck.
1: National Broadcasting Company is presenting Dangerous Assignment, starring Brian Donlevy in the role of Steve Mitchell, colorful two-fisted government agent. At all those places of the world where danger and intrigue walk hand in hand, there you will find Steve Mitchell on another Dangerous Assignment. This Friday evening on most of these stations, you'll hear a program by the NBC News and Special Events Department titled End of an Era. The program will review the history of the past 20 years. Narrated by Burgess Meredith... This hour-long panorama of the Roosevelt-Truman period from 1933 to 1953 will bring the happy moments of the 30s and 40s mingled with the sad, the joys and sorrows, the victories and the defeats. The title for this survey of the past two decades is taken from a remark by President Truman, made the morning after General Eisenhower was elected president, that this is the end of an era. So, hear this special broadcast, Friday, on the NBC Radio Network.
2: Sure, I've got my assignment. Get over to London and track down a master penman who's running a flourishing racket and phony passports and all I have to start with is a package wrapped in a seven-year-old newspaper. The package that was found hidden away in the basement of an old house. It's late Thursday afternoon when my plane lands. I head for Scotland Yard and the office. Of the house, Mr. Mitchell. A list of occupants and owners, past and present. Look, Inspector, about this newspaper, the wrapping on the package that was found in the basement.
1: Oh, yes, I, uh, I have it right here, Mr. Mitchell. Mm-hmm. Is there any
2: possibility that the package might have been hidden away in the house during, say, the past year? Oh, hardly. You see, Mr. Mitchell, the house in St. Margaret's Mules was severely damaged during the war years. A good deal of repair work was done in the basement in the latter part of 1945. Your walls, reinforcements, so on. I see. And the package was found behind the new construction work. That's right. Exactly when did this repair job begin, do you know? Uh, let me see. Uh, uh, yes. Yes, here we are. The work was begun in August of 1945. And this newspaper is dated April 45. Well, that narrows it down to roughly three months when it could have been put there. I wonder why the package wasn't removed during that time. Why he didn't come back for it. Yeah, it's hard to say. Who owned the house then, Inspector? It's in the report here. Uh, let me see. Yes. Yes. Uh, Ian Mackay, the second cousin of Sir John. Uh, lived there alone? Uh, he was with the Royal Air Force at the time, living at the house with his wife, Emily, two youngsters, Ronald and Valerie. Any servants? Three. Yes. An elderly couple named Denny and a maid named Clara Fitzsimmons. Where are they now, do you know? Well, Ian Mackay was killed in a plane crash in 1946. His wife remarried three years later and is now living in Canada, and the children are with her. The Denny's are both dead... That's for the maid, Clara, well, we haven't been able to track her down yet. Who could have had access to that basement other than the people living in the house? Anyone in the whole of London, Mr. Mitchell. What? Yes, you see, it was used for a time as an air raid shelter. Oh, great. Well, let's get back to the item you were wondering about, Inspector. Why was the package stashed away there in the first place? Any ideas? Well, let's examine this possibility. The person carrying the package believes he's being followed. The police, and he doesn't want to get caught with the evidence on him. Hmm. So he slips into the air raid shelter. Deserted. He finds space to hide the package. Slips out again. This piece of newspaper seems to back up that line of thinking, Inspector. Oh, you notice that, Henry? Sure. Here we have a single sheet torn from the rest of the newspaper. And what is it? Part of the want ad section. Up at the top of the page is the tail end of the column rooms to let, indicating that our friend, aware that he was being followed, was seeking a change of address. You'll notice the last six listings in that column have London addresses. And there's some pencil marks beside them. Be too much to expect to find him still living in one of those rooming houses after seven years, but it might give us a lead. Right, huh? I'll take a crack at it, Inspector. You have any plans? Well, I thought I'd drop around to the Blue Lion Inn, check with a man I have there, and then go on trying to track down that maid of the Mackays, Clara Fitzsimmons. Good man. idea. Well, see you later, Inspector. <laughs> The odds on our long shot are growing and the chances I'll find the gent I'm after looks slimmer by the minute as I start out with my list of addresses. The first one is a bust. The same goes for the next address and the next. Things must have been tough in April. Four down and two to go. Now it starts to rain. I rush on to the next place, 61 New Romney Road.
4: Come in, D. D.
2: At the door of the landlady, a rather large one, greets me. There's a pleasant air about her and that air includes a faint trace of gin. I settle down into a heavy... Over-
4: Yes, I well now, dearie. That's going to take a bit of thinking, I'm afraid. You
2: don't keep a record of your borders, Mrs. Farland?
4: Never bothered to. Uh, might I offer you a little nip of something? I always have a small glass before supper. Helps the appetite, you know.
2: Thanks, but I'll skip this round if you don't mind. Also
4: takes the chill out of one's bones. Nasty weather out,
2: ain't it, dearie? So it is. Now, about this advertisement, Mrs. Farland, it appeared in the Dover Times on April 29th, 1945.
4: I don't seem to recall it at the moment, but if you say so. Here's a copy of the paper. Oh, yes. so oh, I see. So, oh, I see. 1945. Hey, we'd it proper, if you know what I mean. 41 was a nasty year it was. Dreadful. Them Nazi bombers over there day and night.
2: I'm trying to locate a man who might have answered this ad, Mrs. Farland.
4: That was more than seven years ago, did
2: he? I know. uh, It's going back a long time. But there's something in the back page of this paper that might spark your memory. It's the continuation of a story regarding Mussolini. No,
4: him. What about Moldy?
2: He was killed at Lake Como the day before, April 28th,
4: 1945. Was he
2: really? That's right. Help any? Of
4: course it does. I remember it clear as crystal I do. Stella and the young man were supping with us. They'd just got married. Stella? One of my roomers. Been with me for five years. Oh, for no now. Stella's room was advertised in the paper. Of course it was. It all comes back to me now. I rented the room the very next day.
2: And do you recall who took that room, Mrs. Farland?
4: Well, I'll never forget it, dearie, never. It was a gent named Pinto. Jagger's Pinto. I'm a good judge of character and all that, dearie. But Mr. Pinto was my first mistake. Oh, what happened? Police came for that nasty little twipe the day after he moved in. What? That's right. With his fine manners and all, he turned out to be a common burglar. Smash and grab man, you know. Got five years, as I understand. Thanks, Mrs. Farland.
2: That's all I wanted to know. that name again, Mr. Mitchell? Jager's Pinto, Inspector. He was picked up at 61 New Romney Road on May 1st, 1945. Smash and grab artist. Ah, served five years. That could explain why the package wasn't picked up from the basement. His present address is 924 Bexhill Place. Hey, how'd you know that? I've been checking up on you, Mr. Pinto, through quite another lead. You
1: see, I found Clara Fitzsimmons. The
2: maid who worked for the people who had the house on St. Margaret's Mews in 1945?
1: Right. She's a barmaid now, and her married name is Mrs. Yeager Pinto.
2: Oh, brother! Wait a minute. Did you say a barmaid? I did. And just where is she working? (laughs)
1: Can't you
2: guess? Yeah, the same pub where those people we arrested picked up their phony passports. The Blue Lion Inn. Right. Inspector Jellicoe picks me up in his car and we roll out to 924 Bexhill Place, the present address of our long-lost friend, Jagger's Pinto. It stops raining as we pull up in front. We go inside and the landlord gives us the room number we want. Then, just as we start up the stairs... Hey, Mitchell, come on. Upstairs, sounded like... Yes. Yeah. Uh, look, they on the floor. Yeah. I hope it isn't. I'm
1: afraid it is, Mr. Mitchell. Yes, he matches this picture I have on him.
2: It's Yeager's Binto. He's dead.
1: Steve Mitchell will continue his dangerous assignment in just a moment. If your child can run and skip and jump, he's lucky. Just think how you'd feel if he'd been crippled in last year's record infantile paralysis epidemic. More than 186,000 Americans, most of them children, were stricken by infantile paralysis in the last five years. And last year's polio epidemic was the worst on record. Would you like to save 30 million children from attack by infantile paralysis? Well, it takes millions of dimes and dollars spent in medical research before a protective vaccine is discovered. The National Foundation for Infantile Paralysis went out to every man, woman, and child who needed help. And now your National Foundation is $7 million in debt. Yes, the 1952 blow of polio has gotten its fighters rocking on their financial heels. And remember, you can't fight your child's enemy just by wishing. It takes giving. You're giving. Take a walk now, won't you, so the polio-stricken may walk later? join the 1953 March of Dimes. Now back to Dangerous Assignment and Brian Donlevy as Steve Mitchell.
2: The inspector and I set up headquarters in the parlor to question the borders. The first one we talked to is a Mr... up in his room, he was. Pinto's room? That's right. There was a knock on the door. Pinto went and opened it. Did you see who it was? No, sir. I was sitting on the other side of the room. I heard Pinto say, Oh, it's you. Then he stepped out into the hall and closed the door. I sat there several minutes, and just as I was about to go and see what had happened to him, I heard that shot. I ran outside and down to the back hall, and, well, they were you two gentlemen, bending over his body. Blaney. The person who knocked on the door, Mr. Cathcart, did he say anything at all to Pinto? Not a word as I could hear, sir. Then you don't know whether it was a man or a woman. That I don't, sir. Hey, well, Mr. Cathcart, that'll be all. You please send it the next person. Right, sir. Poor Pinto. Blindy. Blindy. Quite Well, he tells a straightforward story. It'd be interesting to know if it also happened to be a true one. Yeah, the way it figures, Pinto was the leg man in the passport racket, and the forger probably killed him to shut his mouth. Now, mm. right,
1: come in. Did you see the inspector? Oh, uh, yes. Yes, your name, please. Walter Michaels. I'm an insurance solicitor. I was calling on a client of mine whose rooms are on the third floor. A Mr. Jones. But he didn't answer the door. And Jones? Well, let's see. The landlord informed me that Mr. Jones had left the house for the railroad station a right, half an hour so, before the, the killing on a business trip. You've job.
3: no right to prevent me, you know.
1: Ah, Wait,
2: stop,
3: Sounds
1: like a bit of a lie in the hall. Yeah, Why I, I a look.
2: <laughs> what seems to be the trouble?
3: This policeman will simply not allow me to go upstairs to my room. It's ridiculous.
2: Your name? Johns, but I don't see what business this is of yours. you step in here a moment, please, Mr. Johns? All right. All right, you big tug at my sleeve. It's enough out of shape. With the damp as it is, I'll come. Sorry, uh, this is Mr. Johns, Inspector.
1: How uh, do you know? What sort of foolishness is this, Inspector? Uh, just routine questioning, Mr. Johns. Uh, if you'll just put your overcoat on that chair. Look we'll...
3: here, I'm in a frightful hurry. Can't I make you understand that? I was almost to the railroad station when I realized I'd forgotten some important papers, so I hurried back. Now your man tells me I can't even go up to my room to get them. Since when... You see,
1: there's been a murder, Mr. Johns.
3: Since when...
2: Murder? Good Lord. Mr. Johns, you haven't said hello to your insurance solicitor here. My what? Mr. Michaels here. I've never seen the man before in my life. What's that? Well, well, how now, Mr. Michaels? Gentlemen, if, if
1: I could speak to you in private... Uh, that'll be all for now, Mr. Johns, but your trip will have to wait.
3: But it's a
2: business trip. Now, see here, you've no right that to... That will be all, Mr. Johns.
3: I shall speak to your superior. Fine,
1: I'll be glad to make an appointment for you. I,
2: You. He. Bah. Uh... <laughs> Sounds like my old college yell. Quite.
1: Good night, Mr. Michaels. Well, I... I really came here to see Dora Mays. She has a room across the hall from Johns.
2: Your girlfriend?
1: Yes. We had quite a row last night. I had a date tonight thrashed the whole thing out, but she didn't show up.
2: So you came here to her room.
1: Yes, but she was out. That's where I was when I heard the shot. Uh, why didn't you tell us this first off, Mr. Michaels? I I was afraid it would get back to pay to her. I see. You traps don't seem convinced, but that's my story.
2: Take it or leave it. Before we take it, Mr. Michaels, we'll check it. <laughs> still isn't back, so for the time being there's no way of checking up on his story. I leave Inspector Jellicoe at the rooming house to continue the questioning, borrow a police car and head for Mrs. Pinto's flat to break the news to her about her husband. end up like
4: this. I guess that's why I left him. You
2: were separated? It's been a year now. I see. Uh, Mrs. Pinto, as I understand it, you were a maid in the house on St. Margaret's Mews back in 1945?
4: That's right. Pinto came to see me one night. I let him hide down in the basement.
2: That's when he ditched the package of phony passports
4: down there. I suppose so. The next morning, he was gone. And later, I learned he'd been arrested. I see. As soon as he was out, he looked me up. I'd just started his barmaid at the Blue Line then. he promised to turn over a new leaf, so we got married.
2: But it didn't last very long,
4: huh? I found out he was still mixed up in something shady, so I left him. A year ago, as I said.
2: Did you see anything of him after that?
4: Oh, yes. He'd drop in every now and then at the blue line. I thought he was coming to see me.
2: Actually, he was probably using it as a contact point to hand out the passports. You happen to know any of his friends?
4: No. Can't say I wanted to.
2: He ever mentioned the man or woman that he worked for?
4: Well, there was a gent he always turned to when he needed a bob or two. Tracer was his name, I think. Tracer? The old Tracer will fix me up, he always used to say.
2: Wait a minute. Tracer was probably a nickname, and it would sure fit a passport forger. That's... Probably the boy I'm after. Did you ever see him?
4: Not that I know of. Pinto used to talk to him over the telephone, mostly.
2: Did you ever answer the phone when he called? Oh, yes. You think you might recognize his voice? I might. Is there a phone here?
4: No, but there's a phone box down the street.
2: Come on. I want to call the inspector and have them line up all the suspects for you to listen to. <laughs> Pinto puts on her coat and we go outside. I step into the phone box and the little light goes on. Just as I start to dial a number, I spot a glint of metal across the street and I hit the floor fast. I dive outside, but there's no one inside across the street. Nothing but the mouth of an alley and the sound of some distant running steps. I could never catch up to him now. Mr. Mitchell?
4: Are you
2: okay, Mrs. Pinto?
4: Oh, yes. I jumped into this doorway when it happened.
2: Okay, come on. I've got a police car down the street. And... Huh? What is it? Mrs. Pinto... You told me you hadn't been out of your flat all evening, didn't you? That's right. Earlier this evening, while we were looking for Pinto, it started to rain. What
4: about
2: it? It rained for just about half an hour. It stopped just as Inspector Jellicoe, and I arrived at Pinto's rooming house.
4: I don't see what all this has to do with... Your I...
2: coat sleeve is damp, Mrs. Pinto. Why, but... You didn't tell me the truth. You were out of your flat this evening during the time it rained.
4: But... Yes, I was. Where'd you go? I started for Pinto's rooming house to tell him the police were making inquiries about him. Halfway there, I changed my mind. I came
2: back. You sure you didn't go to the rooming house?
4: Quite sure.
2: Hey, hold everything. The damn sleeve. What
4: about it? I told you. Yeah,
2: you just told me the answer. I take Mrs. Pinto back to her flat and tell her to lock herself in. Then I go outside and slide behind the wheel of the borrowed police car. Just in time to feel a gun barrel nudge me in the back of the neck. Well... Well, that would be Mr. John's, I presume. Quite right, right, Mitchell. Uh, keep moving straight ahead. Okay. So you're the big cheese of the passport racket. Start the car. Straight down the street. I'll tell you where to start. You've been waiting for me here ever since you took that shot at me in front of Mrs. Pinto's, huh, John? Yes, I doubled around the block. they are here. Gilbert Place. Where are we heading?
3: A quiet room where you're going to phone Mrs. Pinto and have her join us. I'll oh, get rid of us both, huh? Right. She may have seen me occasionally in the Blue Lion, but she's heard my voice over the phone. I can't afford to have her around.
2: Left here. Epping Square. You knew it was I in the car as soon as you felt the gun barrel. How? When you put on the act about storming back to the rooming house for some forgotten papers, I remembered the sleeve to your suit was damp but you were carrying your topcoat over your arm. Yes, sir. That meant you got caught in the rain without your topcoat when you went out the first time. Your plan was to make a departure, then sneak back and kill Pinto, which you did. You also picked up your topcoat. It took me until now to put the pieces together. Rather neat. Now, wait. There's a police
3: car ahead of us. Turn around. (laughs) Okay. Back the way we came to the first turn. Right. His car. What do you know? Slow down. I'm getting out. Sorry. You're not leaving, Johns. Let's go of my
2: wrist. Let's go of the gun. No. Drop it or your wrist goes with it. No. I... Oh. My, but you're hard to convince. Now, just sit back and we'll wait for our friends, the police. How could they follow us? How did they know where we were? Real simple, Johns. This is a police car, remember? When I reached down to start the car, I also flipped the radio switch. We've been on the air all this time. The radio? Uh, yep, you sang plenty. That's how come you got the business. Matter of fact, you might call it a singing commercial. Huh?
1: Our star, Brian Donlevy, will return in just a moment. Here's another reminder about NBC's special program, The End of an Era. The End of an Era will survey the past 20 years in our nation's history. During the program, we'll recall when Eddie Cantor was singing Potatoes Are Cheaper, and Neville Chamberlain announced that he had brought peace in our time. Those were the days of Hugh Johnson and the Blue Eagle of the NRA, the time of Cab Calloway's Hidey Ho. Those were the times of the sidewalk apple peddlers at street corners, of the hit song Brother Can You Spare a Dime, of swing music such as The Music Goes Round and Round. As NBC presents this special survey, listeners will hear again Franklin Roosevelt's inaugural address in 1933, Hitler's angry speeches, Churchill's magnificent replies, the threat of bombs, the rhythm of marching feet, the events at Pearl Harbor that made December 7th, 1941, a day of infamy. Yes, be sure to hear this full hour documentary program, End of an Era, Friday evening on most NBC stations.
2: Next week, Burma. The road to Mandalay almost turns into
1: a one way street, and that will be Steve Mitchell's dangerous assignment next week. Included in tonight's cast were Virginia Gregg, Ben Wright, Don Morrison, and Dan O'Hurley. This is John Storm speaking. <laughs> Dangerous Assignment, starring Brian Donlevy as Steve Mitchell, with Herb Butterfield as the commissioner, is written by Bob Reif and Adrian John Doe, and is directed by Bill Carn. Be with us again next week at this same time when Brian Donlevy, starring in the role of Steve Mitchell will embark on another transcribed dangerous assignment.
3: Always tune where you hear the familiar NBC chimes. They're your invitation to find radio entertainment. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company.